Hi, I'm Frances Liliana, and this is The Dallas Type, an interview series where we celebrate the different personalities you'll find in the Dallas creative community. And it's also an attempt to see if there's anything that we might identify as a unifying element between all the creatives I've asked to participate. So, in regards to creatives here in North Texas, is there a Dallas Type? Today's chat is brought to you by the letter W. Hello? 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 Hi. I figured I would eat cookies and have the Republican debate on in the background since you wanted some texture. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> All right, are you ready? Mm-hmm. So firstly, thank you for taking the time to talk with me today. What is your full name, your position, and where you work? William Brett Baronet is my full name. I go by Willie. And I am the Stan Richards Professor in Creative Advertising at SMU in the Timerlin Advertising Institute. Have you ever gone by Brett? No. <laughs> that would be an awesome alter ego. And that's kind of my segue into the next question. <laughs> if, if, okay. if you had a superpower or an alter ego, what would it be? Uh, if, I wanted, if I had a superpower, it would be the power to unconditionally love myself. That's interesting. Why would you say that that's a superpower? I feel like if anybody could do that, that would be you. Well, that's kind of you to say, but I don't do it unconditionally, and some days it's a real struggle to do it at all. Right. And I have a deep belief that when I am able to really love myself, then I'm really able to love other people, and my bucket's full, so I'm able to help and be of service and all that sort of stuff. I mean, I think when when people talk about you, just in general, I mean, I, I think most people would describe you with those words. So, um, oh, I know people that wouldn't. <laughs> <laughs> that makes sense. We'll, we'll get back to that. Okay. How would you describe what you do during the day? My day job, in a typical day, I am teaching one or more classes. I am having lots of meetings in between classes and before classes uh, with students often to look at thumbnails, look at their ideas, help them sort of figure out the path to go down creatively. And on some days, you know, when there are special events, I might attend a guest speaker at school or I might be at an ad club meeting, stuff like that. And if it's my day off, then I might be uh, working on an art project. How is that contrast to what your day job was 10, 15 years ago? Well, I sold the agency in 2006, so it's been nine Almost 10 years. Yeah, the big difference, I think, when running the agency was that my day was filled with meetings and pitches, uh, client meetings, internal creative discussions or discussions about the operations of the agency. It was a very different, it was a much fuller schedule in some ways, and the pressure of it felt a lot heavier to me because of the responsibilities of, you know, meeting payroll and making sure everybody's doing okay and all that sort of stuff. So it felt a lot heavier. You mentioned making sure that everybody was doing okay. Do you feel like the, the conversations or the guidance that you give your students now is similar or even better because of that attention that you pay to the people that work for you or with you before? I think there's some things that are similar, I think the difference is that with students, I don't have the pressures of, you know, running an agency. And, and so when I was counseling employees, it might have been different because uh, their performance was directly tied to how well we were doing for a client. And with students, it's just about their own personal projects. And, you know, in that respect, it's it's much less 
pressure filled. It's it's okay to let them fail a lot more. There's just a different sort of pressure on the outcome. But I do think, you know, to the other part of your question, I do think that one helped me prepare for the other. Uh, no question. Being a creative director, I think, is such a great uh, preparation for being a teacher. Yeah, I think being a teacher also helps you be a better creative director as well. Yes. Oh, yeah. No, no question. We mentioned that was nine years ago when you sold your agency. How long have you been in the creative industry overall? Um, 33 years. <laughs> Shut <laughs> up. <laughs> what got you into the field 33 years ago, or, I mean, probably 37 years ago, if you went to a regular college? Well, I went to a four-year college, but I changed my major twice, and it wasn't until I was in my fourth semester that I took my very first art class of any type ever in my life. And I can tell you that from the moment I changed my major to advertising design and took my first class, I knew that I was in the right place. I think I had been searching for that my whole life. And once I was there, it felt so right. I had no idea, of course, how it was going to all, you know, where it was going to take me over the course of the next several decades. But I knew I was that was the right place for me. What got you to change? your major? Well, I had started in pre-law and worked a summer in a law library and realized, wow, this is boring and I do not want to do this. And at the time, I was taking this uh, honors math class that I loved, and I really loved the professor. And so kind of on a whim, I changed my major to math without thinking at all about what I would do with that for a living. And then in the middle of Calculus two. I was like, what the hell am I doing? This is not nearly as fun as that other class was. And I literally took out the course catalog and was just flipping through it and saw applied arts, the applied arts section, and I saw advertising design. And at the time, I truly didn't really know much about how ads and commercials and brochures, you know, came into being. It was just something I had never really thought about, but it just sounded interesting. And so that's what led me to change my major. Um, and I was paying for my own college, so my dad didn't have anything to say about it. <laughs> Do you have a, a hero or a mentor or both? Well, I have, I think, a, a lot. Are you talking about within the business or just in general? or? Um... You know, I, I think if you have a hero that's just a general hero and a, and a business hero, I mean, I think there's a lot of stuff that informs how people are, even if their heroes are outside of, of the business. Almost even more if you can take some of the qualities that you find heroic outside of the field and apply them somehow? Well, I think I have a lot. Uh, early in my career, I certainly thought about guys like Paul Rand and Saul Bass and some of the pushpin guys, you know, Milton Glaser and Seymour Quast. Um, those were some of my early, early design heroes. And I think that in addition to them, that um, now if I had to pick a creative hero, it'd be Marcel Duchamp, just because I believe in some ways he transformed the way we think about art in a way that nobody else has, and in some ways gave birth to everything that is conceptual art and Dada and all the art movements that have happened 
in the 20th century, really. And as important as all of those guys, I would say that, you know, I've, I'm, I'm in a, a men's organization called the Mankind Project, and I've been doing that sort of personal work for 15 years, which is really just about connecting my own mission or passion and, and helping and supporting other men and doing the same. And there is a whole bunch of men um, that I've worked with over the years that have been mentors to me and have taught me more about leadership and uh, courage. And so, uh, you know, there's, and I could name a bunch of them, you wouldn't know any of them, but uh, those those are men that I would put in that same category. And then there are people out just in the world, the Gandhis and the Mother Teresas and Martin Luther King, you know, people who have just given their lives to something that they thought was worthy and important. And I I, um, I admire that type of uh, courage and perseverance and, and all of that as well. So I feel like I've got tons of heroes. That's interesting, the order of the heroes and the mentors that you that you mentioned. Because, I mean, you started off with, you know, very design-focused heroes, and then you ended up with the epic ones, you know, the MLKs and whatnot. Your career and also just your, your presence. Um, and what people know you for, it has kind of followed that because you were a designer, creative director, owner. And now not only are you teaching, but you have your side project. Through through all of that, I mean, what is your favorite part of what you do as a creative? Because in all in that in that whole line of things that I just mentioned, all of it was creative. What is do you think there's a unifying factor between all of things that you do? And if so, you know, what is what are those things that, that make them so great that that makes you able to do it? That makes That's, sense. That is, yeah, it's and it's a really, I think it's a profound question to to think about everything and find sort of a unifying thing or commonality. And and I think for me, if I had to pin it in something, it would be learning. I think that's the thing that kind of weaves through everything I do, um, including teaching, including, you know, the Homeless Sign Project, including, you know, taking risks in general um, and other art and drawing and writing and uh, advertising design. Um, I think the the common thread that really excites me is um, learning. You know, even in the agency business, I got to the chance to learn about so many different industries and companies. Uh, I got to learn about different creative people, illustrators, photographers, art directors, uh, writers. And I think even now, I learn from my students um, every single day. I learn from all of my colleagues, you know, designers, art directors, you know, you doing this project, you know, I'm learning just in, in hearing how you framed this project. And it's something that seems very original and very personal. And, and those, you know, so, so the learning aspect of everything, I think, for me is if I had to pick something, that seems like the, the thing. So you've seen about 32 or so years of evolution in regards to the advertising design and uh, creative community. What do you think might be one of the biggest difficulties facing creatives right now? You know, I think the biggest challenge is to really remain open. Technology is changing at such a rapid rate these days that the creatives who get locked into a way 
of doing something or a style or a technology, um, I think they're the ones that have the biggest challenge. And so staying open and um, separating, you know, technique and technology apart from content and good thinking and good ideas, that to me, that's what really separates the the creatives that have some staying power, I think. Does that make sense, the, the, the staying open? Oh, yeah. No, definitely. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I mean, you're just, you're not necessarily locked down to a specific even medium. It's almost like if you have a client come to you and they say, I need a brochure, and you're like, you really don't. You know, you don't just kind of put your head down and, and do what's right in front of you. You have to be open. You have to be open to the actual solution. Yeah. At least yeah. In, a, in a creative standpoint. In, in, in the opposite sense, what do you think is a really big opportunity for people right now? Well, I actually think in some ways it is tied to technology. I think we live in a magical, crazy, amazing time. And the fact that our devices that at least now are in the form of smartphones um, or is like a window to everything in the world and can alarm us when we need to make a right turn, can tell us when somebody has uh, commented on something that we had posted and the the it's just an amazing time to be alive uh, in that respect. And I think the power that I think agencies and firms are and the human race is just figuring out, you know, about how to harness this amazing technology that we have that connects us in the way that it does is an amazing opportunity. And I think there are going to be, you know, changes in the way that, and, and you already see it in the marketing and advertising world, the ability to target customers so specifically the ability to do an art exhibit that is interactive in real time in multiple locations, sometimes in virtual space. You know, I mean, the stuff that is possible today is mind-blowing. And so to me, the opportunity is that for people who stay open, they're going to figure out ways to harness all of these tools and these ways of connecting and bring whatever creative stuff they're doing, whether it's art or activism or uh, graphic design or ad campaigns, they're going to, you know, find ways to to integrate all of that. And to me, that that is, I I just can't get over what an amazing time it is to be alive. And yeah, we have to figure out how not to, you know, bury our head in our phone constantly, and we have to figure out how to balance and all of that other stuff but um but to me the magic far outweighs the downsides that kind of ties into the next question as well assuming your your answer to my question is going to be what i think it is but never mind <laughs> <laughs> we'll just go straight you're pre-answering my question i'm pre-answering your question describe a project that you are really proud of so I will say a 27-minute video that I did when I was in grad school called Spam. And in some ways, it's the single piece that I've been that – that took me the longest amount of time. But I collected pornographic emails and spam messages for a period of two or three years and took just the subject headers from all of these emails, which were bizarre, weird, 
in some cases collections of dirty words and others just random sentences, uh, some obviously generated by a computer and some written by humans, and started a project that ended up with uh, after lots of evolution in grad school, uh, turned into this 27-minute video where I had, I think, 97 women in 11 different languages reading these pornographic email headers, and I videotaped and recorded them uh, just their mouths as they were reading it, and then had hours and hours of footage that I whittled down into uh, 27 minutes edited piece that I titled Spam, and it's it just, for me, um, there was a lot about it conceptually that I loved, and there was a lot about the actual hard work of the editing uh, and how it turned out that I was very pleased with. So that's a project that I'm really proud of. See, you got me there. I keep forgetting. <laughs> I keep. I keep forgetting how how awesome you actually are. And oh, I mean, <laughs> yeah, that was that was an awesome project. I actually thought you were going to mention the latest one with the. Oh, that one too. I mean, I'm yeah. very proud of that too. <laughs> well. <laughs> But, I mean, that's the thing, though. I mean, you had, I mean, the project that you did with the spam or the spam project and then this homeless project, what's next? I mean, I feel like everything that you, you've you done, just the, even in, in the time that I've known you and, and had the luck of knowing you, just keeps getting better and better. Like, are you... Well, that, that's very... Is, is it scary to be that awesome and then... Oh, shut up. <laughs> shut up. So, yeah, thank you for the kind words. And and the thing that is next that is kind of in the forefront is we're in the midst of editing the, docu- the documentary, you know, that was based on the cross-country trip uh, part of the homeless project. And that truly is going to be, I think, a monumental task. I'm not having to do the actual hardcore editing. I'm really just helping and in, in, uh, giving opinions and kind of working with the guys who are doing all the hard work. But that particular project is going to be the next thing that hopefully will get done before the end of this year. And it's um, overwhelming and uh, terrifying and exciting, too, because, um, you know, I believe it's going to be – I hope it's going to be as good as the experience has been Um, because, you know, for me, this documentary is a chance for people who, you know, didn't get to travel across the country and talk to all these uh, homeless folks and just have these great interviews and see this remarkable country, all of that stuff. My hope is that this documentary is going to be um, a way for other people to get a little bit of a, a taste of what we got to do during that month. So. I'm very excited about it. Is that project or these projects, are they in themselves your source of inspiration or is there something outside of even those that you do for inspiration? Well, you know, I mentioned earlier that I learn from my students every day. There is, for me, I think the times that I am most inspired is when I am listening to other creative people or, you know, just last weekend I went to TEDx SMU and listened to all of those awesome speakers and was just, I spent the whole day just getting fired up by that. Um, which, and, and I can tell that it's inspiring me because I find all of a sudden my, 
notebooks open and I'm taking notes and all of a sudden I've got ideas related to the homeless project and other stuff and you know and the same happens when I go to museums uh, the same happens when I watch my students come up with their ideas and present their uh, projects to me so I, I think that for me it, the thing that I find most inspiring is watching other people and their own inspiration and their own creativity that just fires me up so you're, you're you were talking about kind of watching other people get inspired and in their creativity and also earlier you mentioned learning as being this unifying element between the things that you've done so far is there is there anything that you think that that informs about your personality in particular that you think led you to being a creative a designer an artist the teacher. Is there anything about your personality that you think specifically led you to what you're doing now, even outside of, you know, the day job? I'm going to interpret the word personality a couple of ways. I would say that, um, you know, my upbringing, which there are a number of things. One, I think, you know, I was, um, uh, I had not a super great relationship with my dad growing up. And part of that caused me to be, to kind of grow up a afraid a lot of the time and and one of the things that came out of that fear was that I got really good at reading other people's uh moods so that as a um skill I think has really helped me uh be a good listener and um my perception stays kind of on high alert a lot of the time so I don't know if that's personality but it certainly had to do with how I turned out. I also had a mom that, um, while she might have been a little nuts, uh, she was, I think, very creative herself, and she had a curiosity about her that I think I inherited. And I think that that trait of being curious is just invaluable when it comes to creativity because it really does keep me interested, even in stuff that other people might find boring. I'm just, just interested in a lot of things, and I find myself seeking, you know, I take pictures of weird things, and I see weird things when I look at the wall of a building or whatever, and um, I just think, it, you know, curiosity is a big part of that. Does curiosity inform what you do for relaxation or even like what does your usual Saturday look like? Saturday I usually wake up I either go pick up Paul Jerdy or I don't pick up Paul Jerdy depending on whether his son is playing basketball and we usually go um, to play basketball together and if I don't pick up Paul then I just go play basketball by myself with uh, a group of guys that I've been playing with for a long time afterwards I will either make a smoothie or some sort of food when I get home and shower and you know, might go to uh, do something with Tanya, like in Bishop Arts, or we might just hang around and watch reruns of Stephen Colbert. We might take a nap. You know, if if friends of mine have an art opening or some sort of theater thing or whatever, you know, might do something like that. But um, basketball is kind of the most reliable part of most Saturdays for me. <laughs> It's interesting that you, you say basketball because it's it's not necessarily something that you would automatically associate with creatives if, if you're really looking from the outside and, you know, kind of a, the perspective of, you know, looking at Don Draper and stuff like that. There was another person that I've interviewed already who actually mentioned you as 
his mentor, Gus Granger, and he actually, mm. you know, his hobby is, is taking the, the Range Rover out into a field of, of dirt and mud and driving over hills and, you know, it's kind of very risky. Um, wow. But, I mean, one of the things that he mentioned about about that was the fact that you're totally able to take your mind off of work. Like, you don't have, you, you're 100% present in in a situation and when you're turning the wheel what's the car going to do when you're doing this you know do you feel the same thing with basketball like do you think it's something that kind of transcends you into not thinking absolutely uh basketball is so it's such an in the moment sport you know if you are dribbling driving to the basket and you pass there is no real thinking that happens it's so much of this is instinctual and feeling where everybody is and knowing just how far you can extend the bounce pass you know so that it won't be intercepted and and it's just it's it's musical in a way you know it's about timing and and boy when things are going right um i can't think of anything else it really is it totally it uh just captures me so yeah i totally relate to gus's comment about the driving and i think in some ways that's why i like vegging out in front of the tv sometimes too i just allow myself to zone out and give my brain a chance to rest from all of the processing i mean that's actually why the reason why i love horror movies so much is because it's not a cerebral type movie you're on the edge the entire time so great now now i feel less like a monster (laughs) <laughs> well, and racquetball is my second one, so that's the other physical thing that I really love, and it's the same exact thing. Totally engrossing, uh, very instinctual, got to react fast, all that stuff. I'm excited to, to see these corollaries, and, you know, I think I've been hearing um, personality-wise, everybody's a listener, you're high alert, and there's a lot of perception in what you do, and there's a lot of people watching. But then to to find a hobby that is is almost you don't think it's really about instinctual, um, reactive. You know, it's contrast to I guess being a genius all day. Um, <laughs> <laughs> if if you could do anything else, what would it be? What would that other path have been if you were flipping through that courses manual, not uh, calculus, not law? What's the other job you, you would have done or what's the next thing that you might do? Honestly, I feel absolutely lucky that I'm doing the, the two things I spend a lot of time doing. I love both of them, you know, teaching and art stuff or both. Um, I just feel like the luckiest guy ever. Um, I think that there is a part of me that when I was in high school thinking I wanted to be a lawyer and I took debate that secretly I wanted to take uh, the drama theater. And I think there's a part of me that would have loved uh, acting and performing as a, a creative expression. Um, so, and I have no idea if I would have liked that or been good at it, but there's a part of me that thinks that would have been fun. And I'm not saying I won't ever, you know, I, uh, I've taken a couple of acting classes just cause, and, you know, it's possible if I ever have a lot of spare time, maybe I'll do some community theater or who knows. Try to play. Or that. 
<laughs> but that's I do think I, comedy writing comedy writing is something I would have uh, loved to do also. I think writers for Saturday Night Live or you know Amy Schumer and people like that. I think that is another thing that I think would be incredibly challenging and a lot of fun. One of the things that I've, I've actually heard somebody describe uh, comedy very similar to how somebody describes what successful and creative is that the best part of a punchline is the fact that it is unexpected. And that's one of the strengths of really great design, too, is whenever you can present something in a way that is unexpected, but it makes so much sense that it becomes memorable. And that's kind of right. you know, the same thing with comedy. So, I mean, I think you could totally do it. It'll be part of the... I don't know. I think it's... I I think it's pretty amazing the the uh, comedians that are really successful. But I do agree with the the premise. I do think there is some similarities, you know, which are both creative pursuits and you know the execution of making something that works and it feels elegant and right and unexpected. It, I do I do see that parallel you're talking about. So you have been on stage. So you, you do have experience and actually a lot more experience over the last couple of years being on stage speaking. Is is that something that you think kind of quenches that performance aspect or, or was that something that, that you challenged yourself with, like to speak? It's something that definitely, I think, scared me to death. And, and the more I do it, I do find that it gets a little bit easier. And maybe it's just because I put less pressure on myself um, but, um, and yeah, I think in some ways it probably does satisfy the performance thing. Although I think acting, the thing about acting that appeals to me is getting to impersonate or be sort of in the character of someone completely different from myself. Um, you know, that's the part that feels like that'd be a really amazing creative, uh, exploration. Whereas if I'm speaking like, you know, about the homeless project or something, it, it's more I'm just being me and it's more about just trying to tell stories well and stuff like that. So I do enjoy it. And at the same time, um, I think the acting thing is still a little bit different. If you were to actually attempt act acting, is, is there a risk associated that, with that? Or actually, yeah, yeah, I think there is. What is what is the biggest risk you've ever taken? Uh, writing a letter to my dad in 1993, uh, confronting him about my childhood. Without a doubt, the biggest and most important risk I've ever taken, and the most ultimately, the most uh, transformative and fulfilling. And I mean, it completely changed my relationship with my dad, and and in some ways changed me so much. You know, I think taking that risk and and being willing to, in that moment anyway, to love myself so fiercely that I was willing to to do that, I think in some ways has shaped the rest of my life. It it uh, it made me better at running a company, and and I think it made me a bit more confident when I was taking other kinds of risks. So that that's the biggest one by far. What do you think, somebody prior to that letter? Um, what do you think somebody would have uh, described as your biggest strength before that letter? And what do you think somebody that works with you now or, or after the letter, what would they say is your biggest strength? Wow, that is, uh, that's a tough one. I guess before the letter, if I was guessing, I think people might have um, said my wit or cleverness, you know, whatever that smart-ass part of me uh, was, that might have been the thing 
that uh, people would have cited, and I really don't know, but that's a guess. And I think now it would it would likely be, um, hopefully, it would be something more along the lines of he's just you know he's a good friend, he's compassionate, and uh, he cares about other people. I think that's hopefully what somebody would say now. So again, it kind of follows the whole, you know, the the hero mentor conversation before. I mean, you're kind of seeing this this evolution of of being just, you know, the designer to the kind of almost humanitarian, actual being type deal. Um, Well, yeah, I think a lot of it too is, is, I don't know if this is for every, uh, true for everybody, but I know that you know, after having suffered through, you know, some rough times and, and losing some important people in my life and, um, you know, sort of weathering some storms, uh, I think that in a lot of ways it softened my edges and uh, helped me to realize just, you know, it's it's a rough go. Of, it's a rough deal to be a human being. And and uh, the more I can keep that front and center, then I tend to be a lot more compassionate with other people who I know are going through their own struggles and even the ones I can't see. So, In that same line, do you have any advice that you give to someone who wants to, say, follow in your footsteps, kind of pursue, pursue a different... <laughs> <laughs> Uh, don't make the mistakes I've made, please. But if you're talking about just general advice or somebody maybe who wants to be um, in a creative sort of career, I think general advice would be, you know, back to love yourself. Find ways to be more gentle with yourself. And I think from a creative standpoint, I would say uh, scare yourself. Take some risks. Get uncomfortable and get outside of the norm and don't avert your eyes. I feel like every like every one of the answers that you've given is actually kind of built off of some of the, the things I've heard previously and, and some of the things I've heard in previous interviews also. There's kind of a tie-in to why that person, you know, chose to stay in Dallas or live in Dallas. What is the reason for you? Like, why... Why did you pick Dallas? I know you came from Louisiana. What brought you here and what, what keeps you here? What brought me here um, in the beginning was um, our professor in college took us on field trips to Dallas and we got to tour, you know, the big creative firms like the Richards Group and uh, Richard Sullivan Brock and Associates and Woody Pertle and you know, some of the firms that were big back then. Um, the fact that Dallas was driving distance from Lafayette uh, made it, you know, wasn't too scary to move to Dallas because I knew I was still driving distance from home. And a couple of my classmates, Scott Ray, who works at Peterson and Ray, and my friend Gary Labou, who now lives back in Lafayette, but he at the time had moved here, and both of them called and said get your damn portfolio and come move to Dallas and because you need to be in a bigger market and so all of that is what got me to Dallas and then once I got here 
uh, and some time passed and I started to build friendships and, you know, circles of, uh, you know, just people who mattered to me. I think over the years that it became home and I've got, you know, so many groups of friends and, and, uh, both in the business and, and not in the business that just mean the world to me that, uh, it would be a huge thing to let go of, you know, to, to move to a different city and, I mean, I love San Francisco and I love New York and, you know, I could imagine living all kinds of places. But uh, what I can't imagine is not being amongst all my friends. And, um, you know, I just feel really connected here. And I'm excited to see a lot of what's happening in the city in terms of the arts. And I believe that there is a, a creative um, energy that seems to be expanding here in Dallas and it's, you know, I'm just, I'm, I, I love being here. I love being here. I love Oak Cliff and I love teaching here and, you know, so it's the people. Right on. Um, so you said there's this kind of creative energy growing. Um, interpret this any way you will. What does tomorrow look like? Uh, tomorrow looks like exciting and optimistic and full of energy and unexpected. Okay. So we're hitting the lo- the home stretch. Um, <laughs> yeah, this is we're kind of near the quick fire. Okay. What is the last item on your bucket list? The last item on my bucket list. I'm not sure how to interpret that. You mean the thing I want to do right before I die or the next yeah, thing that I want to do? Yeah, it's kind of horrible. Yeah. What, what is the last item? I mean, like, what is that one that you're like, man? <laughs> <laughs> I do not have any answer for that whatsoever. There's so many things that I would say I want to do, but I don't know what the last one is. What's the next one? Um, I want to be a guest on Stephen Colbert. You gotta figure out a way to make that happen, Stephen. Well, if this documentary turns out well, that could be that could be a way. So keep your fingers crossed. Perfect. All right, quick fire. Okay. Uh, go back to those questionnaires that we gave all of the uh, all the clients before. What is your favorite font? Shit. Um, universe. Favorite word. Nipple. <laughs> favorite color. Red. Favorite quote? I slept and dreamt that life was joy. I awoke and saw that life was service. I acted and behold, service was joy. Elvis or the Beatles? Fuck, both of them. Um, But if you pushed me, I'd say Elvis, because he's the one who inspired the Beatles. Describe yourself in five words. Curious, dreamer, seeker, Compassionate, goofy. Describe yourself in one word. Love. And that's it. Sweet. <laughs> you you won. Is there anything else you'd like to add as we roll into my imaginary credits? Um, the world needs people to follow their dreams. The interview you just heard is bookended by the track Blue Jay from the album Feathers of Blue Dot Sessions which I borrowed from freemusicarchive.org and used under the Creative Commons Attribution Non-Commercial License. 
Thank you for listening to The Dallas Type. I'm Frances Oliana. And remember, as the late, great Tom Landry said, when you want to win a game, you have to teach. When you lose a game, you have to learn. 